welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at various places of shelter around the New York metropolitan area. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of the Fanatic PW's uh, twice-a-month comics and pop cu- pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter while it's legal at, at @pwcomicsworld. <laughs> and I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr, pw, pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And we're on social media at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. So, as you can tell, you can also leave us a comment. You can let us know <laughs> what you think of, please, please let us know. Please reach out. We're really lonely. We're very desperate, as you can tell from our difficulty in just doing this intro yes, that we've done reading our intro, thousands yeah. and thousands of times before. And we're, we're just, yeah. We're, I feel desperate, like, desperate for human contact. We're so desperate talk for to human us. contact. So, please uh, send us a note. Oh, by the way, listeners, um Calvin and, and Kate, uh, you know, our, our listeners did reach out to us and they told us about a problem that they were having with the podcast and we finally fixed it thanks to the yes. – So, yes, listeners, if there is any other flaws or problems in the technical end of the podcast, please write to us, let us know, um, and we'll, we'll get them fixed because so, we can do that. Yes, because this has been an issue for a while and it's fixed. And rejoice. <laughs> Let's rejoice. <laughs> okay. And also, uh, um, not just technical issues, but if there's something we're overlooking and there's some major news story we haven't touched on that you just really feel that we should cover, let us know that too. Yes, great. All right. This week on More to Come, the return of Wednesday and yeah. streaming, the streaming universe and the Snyder Cut. COVID-19 crowdfunding. Uh, and Christian Cooper. I think I don't. I don't think I need to say anything more than that. All right, but let's jump right to the top of our list: the return of Wednesdays. Books are moving again. Stuff is happening again, even in the pandemic. Even as we try to come out of this lockdown. Yes. Yep, that's it. Wednesdays that's it. are back, boys. Uh, so, <laughs> right. yeah, we've been covering this, uh, quite a bit. I mean, I, you know, we're not able to, he, all three of us live in New York City, so we're not actually able to leave our houses to go shopping for things other than food <laughs> or necessities. But, um, uh, many comic shops are opening up around the nation and, uh, comics are shipping again. There was the first new comics week in, uh, seven weeks. La- uh, yep. I believe it was last week. Um, I'm hearing, you know, different states, different procedures. Um, you know, some owners dare not ask their customers to wear masks. Others are asking for yeah. it. Uh, but the comics seem to be selling. So, um, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, um, it's good to see. I think what Diamond started back on May 20th, I think uh, they started shipments again. Yes. So, um, um we'll, we'll we'll certainly try to keep you updated on that as we hear how stores are doing. I mean with a little luck, hopefully um by in sometime in early June, um I mean New York City will start opening up again. We hope, we think, we'd like to think. Yeah. Um and yeah. so one one thing though, uh even though 
stores are starting to open, comics are starting to move again. Um, uh, there's a pretty much a new normal out there. <laughs> so yeah. most publishers have released uh, these kind of um, staggered schedules. So, you know, basically we have seven weeks of comics that did not ship. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them were printed. A couple weeks worth were actually printed. Uh, mm-hmm. But instead of just dumping them all into the market at once, uh, they are staggering the release of them. And so Marvel has has done a couple of things. Um, they, I think we I think we mentioned this last time that they were announcing that they were doing a lot of digital, doing a lot of books as digital. Yeah, we digital talked only. A yeah, we mm-hmm. did. But they've announced even more that they're doing as digital. And um, also, they their schedules come out for the next three months. And uh, my managing editor Joe Grudenwald did an analysis of it on. Uh, for the beat, and uh, when he added it all up, it was like they're, they're only shipping about a third of the comics that they would normally ship over the next uh, three months. So they've cut back quite a bit. And, you know, I think this is – they've also have heavily discounted a lot of their comics to retailers. So, you know, I think this is a pretty sensitive move on Marvel's part. Um, you know, they're trying to enable cash-strapped retailers – to be able to afford to buy books. However, I'm also hearing now from retailers who are like, oh, my God, now we don't have enough product. How are we going to make money? Hmm. So, you know, this is a, a balancing act. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Well, um, at least there's new product out there to, to, to fight about. Yes, exactly. Um, so so Mar- while Marvel was doing that, uh, DC's also been doing some crazy things. Uh, they are also going digital first. Uh, they did it with a deceased, which is one of their big events of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that has been, uh, it, it wasn't the main deceased. I don't know. Kate, can, do you, do you know a little bit more about this? Okay. So deceased, deceased, uh, I have no idea how the heck you're supposed <laughs> to pronounce that is, is kind of what you might call a mini event. I'm not entirely sure whether it's in canon or not. They tend to go a little back and forth on that kind of thing. But basically, this is not an actual issue of DC Ceased. It is a filler story in between issues. So then that way, people remain interested in the brand and the quasi-event. Um, before they start bringing out the actual issue again, I, I guess when they feel it's a better time to bring out a major comic. So they're, I think they're trying to like, to like split hairs here so that like comic book stores don't get mad at them for, um, putting out an event book at this time, but at the same time they don't want everyone to forget that DC ceased exists right so <laughs> they've got this filler story in there i'm sorry supplemental story yeah okay. so <laughs> i think deceased is kind of like marvel zombies right isn't it like everybody dies and then they the you know we get to see rotting versions of batman and and uh, um, your, your it's, and it's a techno virus story in which many people but not everybody is a techno zombie mm-hmm uh-huh. So, you know, it, it does leave some, some, uh, <laughs> suspense as to whether your character shall, uh, become a tech zombie or not, but yeah. Mm. Well, but, you know, it's innovative, uh, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
you guys, I, one thing uh, we haven't, I haven't heard a peep about, nobody's heard a peep about at all of this is 5G. It seems like 5G might have been a uh, victim of coronavirus. Right, yeah. What happened to <laughs> that? Remember that? Whatever happened right. to that thing? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm hearing that all just, you know, the plans got changed quite a bit and uh, it's sort of all on hold for right now. If Ooh. And it's certainly not going to be what it was when... When Very it was first streamed up last year, yeah. So, um, I mean, I'll say Marvel and DC remain very opaque uh, about all of this and their public-facing comments. I mean, there have been no public-facing comments. You know, they've been talking to retailers, but um, uh, you know, they haven't they haven't come out on any podcasts or anything. They, you know, except for yeah. Jim Lee talking to Kevin Smith. That's the only right, statement yeah. that's been made. So. Well, very interesting, um, particularly about 5G, which, um, you know, was sort of teased with a lot of fanfare. Yeah. To suddenly disappear. Um, pretty amazing. Well, yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to say something controversial. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how can you say something so controversial? It's so true. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I think that's all to the best. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's so many people. I think people were just sort of like putting up with keeping 5G because it it already like been scheduled and already right. people had written a bunch of stuff and you know it was all scheduled and planned. But now everybody's schedule got thrown up in the air anyway, so there's no point in doing a um an event that maybe people don't have full faith in anymore. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, to, to, to use an unfortunate sports analogy. You know, it's always sometimes the trade you don't make. Is the best trade you could make. So, you know, on that note, um, yeah. I hear you, Kate. Yeah. Like the time they were going to, Mets were going to trade Wilmer Flores. That's right. That's 100% there you, there you go. And, and they've been talking about trading what Snyder guard for, for years and they don't yeah. see, and maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, but well, there you go. <laughs> anyway, so Calvin, another thing that DC has done is they've made it official that they will be releasing their trade paperbacks on Tuesdays in yes. alignment with the rest of the entertainment world. Um, and uh, what do you make of that? Well, I mean, I, I always found it because what this is doing is eliminated that, that sort of delay. I mean, I, I, you know, they always seem to sort of release everything in the direct market first and then uh, to the book trade. Uh, but it wasn't a very long span of time. I mean, to me, it seemed almost just sort of a pro forma uh, and nothing wrong with that kind of acknowledgement of the direct market um, that they would get things first. Uh, but I'm not sure on a practical level it had that much uh, impact. Uh, and at the end of the day, um, you know, look, we want a strong direct market or certainly as strong as it can be. But, uh, the future of, of this category is in the book trade, um, and in the book format. So, you know, let's get it all out there at the same time. You know, Calvin, it's, it's funny you say that, though. I mean, obviously, DC's uh, young adult line uh, and kids line, which used to be Zoom and Inc., which is just now DC kids, young readers, whatever they call mm-hmm. it. The DC juvenile books sell really well. Yeah. They sell yeah, no, really they're- well in the market. And, you know, to let them be the category leader is a pretty smart move because they're doing very well. Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, in some ways, you got to really give them credit they saw they have really made a massive switch uh it seems massive i'll put it this way it seems massive to me uh i don't think that they necessarily want to be be seen uh, as 
you know, switching their focus because uh, they will always have a focus on the direct market. But I think that um, they're they're creating they've created a series of books that are working really well in the book trade, uh, and they're and they're and they're using all of their uh, classic characters and and really revamping them. They're doing you know and, and they're and they're revamping them in every way with an eye to diversity. With, with creating, uh, you know, putting them in, in a new context, it's it's um, it's encouraging to see. It is. So they just announced a new book today, actually, which is uh, let's see if I can find it because they announced so many books. They've got uh, a lot of books. I mean, they've they, got a few that have yeah. just come out that we really yeah. haven't even talked. Yeah, about. but they just oh, they just announced uh, Nubia, real one. Uh, yeah, oh, that's right. By L.L. Right. Uh, McKinney was art by Robin Smith. And Brie Henderson, and uh, it is, um, it's a, the twin sister of Wonder Woman who happens to be a, a uh, girl with a, you know, a woman of color, a girl of color, I mm-hmm. guess you would say. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's set in the Wonder Woman universe, and um, sounds really cool. <laughs> and, and, you know, and we should also mention what the, the Lori Hulse Anderson's uh, Wonder Woman Tempest Toss, mm-hmm. another YA graphic novel that came out. And there's a couple of books coming out now with queer themes, and I uh, don't have them, the names right in front of me. Um, and, I, and I think we should also mention Superman Smashes the Clan by, oh, yes, uh, absolutely. Gene Yang. by Gene Yang, which Great. is a wonderful book. And, it yeah. also includes a really fascinating, which I previewed in The Fanatic, um, a, he, he did a, an essay, prose essay, about – his relationship to Superman and the history of Superman actually being used in the 1940s uh, through the Superman radio show mm-hmm. to actually defeat and and ridicule and um, and work against the Ku Klux Klan. So uh, DC's like hitting all cylinders. Yeah, they really are with this line, and uh, there's a lot more to come in the line. They have like you know 50 books that they've announced, yeah. so um, yeah. you know, good for them. So yeah, let them come out on Tuesday. Let it all yeah. be Tuesday. I don't think any I, nobody was complaining about that. Yeah, um, no. and I think more and more. Um, I mean, in fact, it's very interesting. I was reading your what what what, what are those two retailers that do a column for you, Kai? Oh, uh, Brandon and Danica. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I thought there was some very interesting points made in that article of the, the, the very long articles. But I, they also made a quick point of, if I'm not mistaken, that graphic novels in some ways have really been, and they're a direct market shop, and they really were talking about the importance of the book format uh, to them in ways that maybe yeah. they hadn't even saw all of. I'm going to read a quote from that column because I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring it up, and uh, this is a quote from from Brandon. He, he's Brandon Rich Schatz who writes the column with mm-hmm. uh, input. From his partner Danica, but uh, first we considered the fact that Diamond shut down was probably the best thing that could have happened to our store yeah. during this time. We still had access to graphic novels from a wide variety of publishers, including Marvel and DC, and we're still getting in new products from other distributors. Despite not being able to let people into our store, we were in better shape than we'd been in since we opened the shop over five years ago. So, you know, mm. either that's a eye opener, and he—that's what he says. He says that was quite an eye opener, and then he makes a modest proposal. Uh, that maybe there should be, you know, 80 page giant Batman books. Maybe the book should not be the $5 for 20 pages that you read in eight to 10 minutes, you know? Uh, maybe they should be something that's much more like the Walmart comic, mm. actually, that created so much havoc two years ago. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it should be a one to one replacement, but it certainly wouldn't hurt. 
to have some value for money books that aren't just retreads. Back in the ancient misty past, weren't they called annuals? And the, all of the publishers did them periodically. Yeah, it was a special. Oh, those are, oh, long gone summer days. Well, not I, well that yeah, long I was gone. like a I, kid. I was a I kid, have, but that's but that's I what have, you waited for. You got these I, big, like eighty page issues. Yeah. Um, and they cost a little more, but you got a lot more content. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not that far into history. Like, I know I was buying annuals no more than ten years ago. Mm. So, uh, so I mean, in some ways, it's kind of a little bit back to the future. Like we've been talking about this all, all, every every time we get together, every other week or every three weeks or whatever. You know, is the periodical doomed? Is it? No, it's not. It's just you know, it's no. too much beloved. But it, it, is it the industry driver anymore? And you know, like um, in both Europe and Japan. There is no such thing as the comics periodical. Now, maybe you say, you know, shame on them. But what they do have is magazines that serialize lots and lots of comics. And that's where a lot of stuff gets their start. You know, I mean, certainly in Japan, they're serialized in magazines. And in Europe, to a lesser extent. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Japan is really where this happens, really. Yeah. And, and, you know, (laughs) granted, digital access has changed um, all these industries, but um, yeah, you know what's really funny about there. I mean, there was a lot of controversy about Brandon's co- column this week. Uh, some mm. people really said he didn't know what he was talking about, and uh, you know <laughs> there was some talk. But I, I, what's really funny is that that we don't even have to uh, focus group this idea. It already exists. We already have the Walmart giants. Um, maybe they hit on something there. But I thought that was an interesting column. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm interested. He's only up to May. Well, he's almost up to the present. He's up to May fifteenth. I'm interested to see how it goes on. He's going to keep writing it every Friday, so stay tuned. And and, indeed, I will. Uh, And I'm going to just jump in. Same bat time, same bat channel. I'm going to jump in and mention just a couple of things that are going on, also on the digital side. Um, uh, You know, the fabulous Rob Salkowitz, uh, who writes on on a variety of pop culture. Um, trends and business stuff. Uh, he's done a piece for us, really an update on the mobile, uh, comic space, kind of a piece called Mobile Comics for a New Generation. And really what he's doing is looking at industry leader Webtoon, uh, Tapas Media, uh, and, and Stella, which actually kind of had more problems than the other two, but, uh, are operating in the same sphere. They, they lost a lot of their, um, uh, investors, I think they had a lot of Chinese uh, financing that withdrew. Uh, even the, and I think they were also kind of victimized by the tariff war. Uh, so they're 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 around. You can still read the stories. They're looking for new investors. But he talks quite a bit about um, Webtoon, uh, the enormous numbers uh, uh, of traffic, the, the enormous traffic numbers they get. I mean, we're talking about billions. Uh, you know, of visitors, you know, um, uh, over the course of a month. Um, and, uh, some of their top series, uh, and also looking at Tapas Media and what they're doing. And in, in addition, Tapas Media announced that they're actually creating, um, audiobooks out of their comics. So that's a whole other 
you know, radio stream. That's right. Excuse yes, they, they did. Uh, they, they, yeah, I saw that that deal uh, came through. So that, you know, that's very interesting. I mean, it, yeah. it's, 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 I've said this on every podcast since this crisis began too. It's like nobody talks about digital comics going out of business. And, uh, it's interesting to see entities like Webtoon and Tapas kind of becoming more, uh, you know, more doing more deals. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think you're going to hear it, some it, other, go on. I'm sorry, Kate, go on. Go on. It's, it's kind of a wild west. Like, no one thinks digital comics are going away. However, digital comics, I mean, comicsology aside, is kind of a wild westland right now. There are some people who are making hand, money hand over fish, and there are a lot of people who are prospecting. Yeah. Um, well, well, you, and, can and, I just throw in there, you know, comicsology yeah, sure. had a bit of a, a, a big news break themselves and that one of their – uh, original titles got picked up for, um, oh yeah, youth. Uh, yeah, the Pride versus, uh, Pride versus Youth. And, uh, one of them is by, which is queer themed, by the way. And it's, um, youth has already been picked up for development by Amazon. So, uh, you know, to have like digital comics being picked up is, um, kind of a interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, we should also mention up that Chip Moser, the comicsology's head of content, has a comic out on Kickstarter. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's already funded, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, blacking out. Well, yep. Well, we'll uh, be but, talking you know, about. Let me, can I just jump in for a minute here? Also, um, uh, um, one thing I wanted to mention about these mobile comics apps is that these are not comics the way you're. This is not taking print comics and turning them into eBooks. This is really a completely new way of thinking about how comics are created because these comics are really created to read or to be read on mobile devices. Uh, an image, uh, you know, a, a scroll panel is it kind of the equivalent to, well, a panel as opposed to being equivalent to a page of comics. So you're really seeing a revolution in how comics are thought about and created because they're being created in a whole different way for for Tapas Media and all of these. Um, you know, absolutely. Uh, I think I, I, I'm something a really good article. One more from the beat. I have to say, my team has been killing it, and I've had nothing to do. With, like the less attention I pay, the better they do. Um, <laughs> but uh, Matt O'Keefe uh, wrote a piece uh, a couple weeks back called "Infinite Comics: A Look Back at the Format That Was Going to Change Comics Forever," where he actually talks about so many of the things that we have talked about on here all, uh, over the years, like Valentine. Remember mm-hmm. Valentine? Oh yeah, Valentine, sure, sure. Happy Christine Larson or Thrillbent. Um, and wasn't that uh, wasn't Scott McCloud the Infinite? Canvas, the the infinite well, comic. Infinite is a different yes, but that, I mean he's he uses it in a slightly different and different yeah, way. Okay. But uh, sure. anyway, uh, it's a very interesting article uh, that talks about how you know Marvel was doing these 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 comics. I remember they had the French cartoonist Balak doing stuff for them, and mm-hmm. you know like Mark Wade had the whole throw bent universe and everything, and yet, and and they've all faded away actually. And uh, some of the books have actually lived on in print a little bit more mm-hmm. than they have in digital. I feel so. It's it's kind of an interesting interesting look. I mean, I think what you just said is absolutely correct, Calvin. You know, but I I feel like like I, I something uh, with thrill bent. I mean, it was screens, but it was also a lot of these comics were done in a way that they could be pre yeah. easily. They were formatted yes. in that way. Yeah, and um. 
I, I think the, the issue idea for digital comics maybe isn't quite as natural as the webtoons of Tapas, which is, you know, a comic strip. Yeah, it, it more it, 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 that's a better way to describe it in some ways. Um, um, but they, they they are rethinking how you create comics, and you're absolutely right about some of these earlier digital things uh, like Thrillbit. Um, uh, they were thought of even um, what's the old DC thing? Oh, Zub, uh, Zuba, Zuda, 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 yeah, um, Zuda, Zuda, but you know, Zuda, yeah. but you could still turn them into print uh, products, and it's much harder. With the comics that we're talking about on Webtoon and uh, Stella and uh, Tapas Media, it's very hard to turn them into print comics. And actually, print is not really a big part of their um, their uh, their business model. It's really it's not a part of their business yeah. model at all. It's very interesting that Dean, who's doing Red Hook on Webtoon, Dean does it in the Webtoon manner, but he actually completely reformats the books. And re puts puts them together again uh, to release the print compilations that he's publishing through Image. So that's interesting. But they don't discourage it, uh, and they're happy. And another thing that's uh, very exciting about these uh, platforms, maybe not Stella so much, but certainly Webtoon, and I think Tavis Media, is that you uh, have much more control over the rights uh, from the get go. Yes. All right. So. That and in particularly print rights, because for uh, certainly for Webtoon, I know they're not that concerned about print rights, so they're more than happy to let you take your your uh, strip and go off and like turn it into a print book. But anyway, um, can I jump very quickly? I just want to mention that uh, the fabulous Deb Aoki uh, has done our manga feature again this year. It's going to be when when you hear this, it will be published online sometime Friday night. And it'll be in the print issue tomorrow. So it's really it's called hitting a wall. Basically, the manga has been in on a surge, a research uh, since the the dour days of 2008 when we were in recession. It's been growth. It's been popularity. The conventions are booming. The pandemic uh, has really created new challenges for the manga publishing community, just like it's every it has for everyone. So Deb looks at you know. Uh, uh, what was going on earlier in the year uh, as publishers like Dempa and Viz and Kodansha were booming. Uh, the pandemic has hit everyone hard. Store closures have has really hurt the print side. Surprise, surprise, digital is really spiking. Um, demand has gone on online. Uh, and uh, she also talks about the transition to working from home, how it's affected a lot of the manga publishers. So it's really just an overall look at what's happened with the market. She talks with Yen Press. She talks with Viz. Uh, she talks with uh, the new Square Enix, um, you know, office here in New York. So uh, this is just a shout-out to, to look for Deb's piece. Uh, she's awesome. She knows backwards and forward, knows the category backwards and forward. And that will be out in print next week, and uh, it will be online sometime Friday night. Yeah, and you know, I'm also working on the library feature, which will be out oh, in a couple yes, weeks. But um, yes. but uh, not to spoil, no spoilers for that. But yeah. I will say, uh, it is absolutely uh, 100% correct that every time I talk to anyone about anything, that you know, right up until you know March 15th, 
March 11th, really, when this Ooh. all went to, sh- to crap, <laughs> yes, uh, everything yes. was going great. I mean, yes. the comics industry was flying high everywhere. Absolutely. Manga, libraries, digital, print, stores, cons, everything. It was great guns. And, uh, you know, we will be back there someday. Absolutely. But, um, you know, it was there was no sign of weakness. No, um, not at all. The, 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 the children's Bologna Book Fair, they were launching a comics corner. That was launching with 50 publishers from on day one. That's never happened before. I mean, it was all, it was really uh, uh, more growth, more boom, more interesting comics than ever before. Uh, that hit a wall, <laughs> yes. a pandemic wall. But uh, with, that gives you some measure of the strength of the category. Right I think now. the category is strong, but I do wonder if the mega conventions where, like, it is a feature, not a bug for everyone to be packed so tight that they can hardly walk through the aisles may ease off a little bit as far as how many people they're going to allow in a convention at a time. Well, that's for sure. That's there's you know In the interim, there's going to be much rethinking of how physical, oh, yeah. physical events are structured. So that's for sure. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Shall we segue? I guess so. Okay. Streaming universe? Yes. <laughs> okay. Where do we begin? <laughs> well, let's begin at the biggest piece of news to come at. Well, let's explain what we're talking about first. So HBO Max, which is the latest streaming service out of AT&T, Warner, Giant, pile of companies, um, along with DC Digital, DC, DC Digital's DC Unlimited, um, is coming out and they're bringing out a whole slate of programming, including everything DC is bundled in there and everything HBO is bundled in there and everything they can think of that they already own is bundled in there. And also... They have decided, I guess this is, this is like their killer app. This is their answer to the Mandalorian. They yeah. are going to have, drum roll please, people, the Snyder Cut. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. It's, uh, you know, when Disney Plus launched, I mean, HBO Max is AT&T, Time Warner's answer to Disney Plus, okay? So both of them were racing to get their streaming services. You know, it's a streaming era. Little did they know that, you know, when they launched them, that everyone would be sitting at home, or at least everybody mm-hmm. in certain states uh, and certain parts of states would be sitting at home, and then streaming would be the greatest thing ever to save people's sanity. But, um, so yeah, HBO Max just launched uh, yesterday as we're recording this on Wednesday, and uh, everybody knew that the DC movies uh, vault, you know, from Superman, the Batman TV show, all that stuff was going to be part of the crown jewel. Now, I was looking forward to exploring HBO Max. However, I use a Roku to access my streams, and HBO Max has not signed a deal with Roku, nor with Amazon Fire Stick. So, um, lots of people do not have HBO Max, and I could not explore. But I'm assuming that DC Universe has been folded into it. So, just, you know, uh, people were speculating last year that the Snyder Cut would be the perfect thing to find a home at HBO Max yes. just to give it some kind of big splash. And I guess, you know, news-wise, it did. Boy, yeah. I'll say. Everybody's writing we, about this. Why don't we explain to our listeners what the Snyder Cut is? Yeah. Okay, so um, the Justice League movie came out a few years ago, and initially 
It was directed by Mr. Snyder, the former director of all things DC. But then he had a family tragedy and he had to drop out. But uh, when they brought on Joss Whedon to finish up the movie, he had a very different vision. And, I mean, you can debate which vision's better, but his vision was executed partly with footage filmed by Snyder, so it made the seams in the material really clear. Ever since, a lot of people have been wondering what the original vision of Zack Snyder might have been. Um, and they have been various levels of appropriate in their expressions of enthusiasm for the desire for the Snyder Cut to be released. Some people have gotten a little toxic about it. Um, I mean, it's Some not people. the fans. I'm trying to be polite here. It's not that fans never ask for a new cut of things, but usually the tradition is they complain and no one ever gives it to them. For example... You know, there are people who, for the last six Star Wars movies, have been demanding that everything be reshot to their specifications, which, surprise, surprise, is never going to happen. Yeah, because George Lucas only did that with the first three movies, which he did re-edit and re-release, so anyway, but yeah. yeah. But he mostly just edited in extra digital footage of landing spacecraft. <laughs> He is so big on that shot, but anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah. Um, Vitters know it well. Anyway, there. I mean, it's been a fun story to cover, okay? Because yeah. there's mysteries, there's secrets, there's danger, you know. And there's contradictory that, accounts there's, of it, but go on. Yes, there's contradictions, <laughs> there's Jason Momoa, there's, you know, Gal Gadot, mm-hmm. there's a lot of excitement. But um, uh, there was a very rough cut of Snyder, that Snyder delivered to executives and filmmakers, you know, it's kind of like the first thing, like, you know, like animated movies, it's called animatic, but, uh, you know, there was this first look at the rough footage, no special effects, no music, nothing, just the green screen and, you know, rough, unfinished stuff that was shown to people. It was very long, as it always is. Uh, And apparently, you know, Sony Warner's executives back in, I think it was February of 2017, and uh, the reaction wasn't great, okay? And, and here's what, you know, here's the, the great contradiction in all of this to me, is the the, the, the thing I think that, that people at Warner's worried about was that this version was dark and grim, uh, because they apparently hadn't seen Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, which were also made by Zack Snyder and were dark and grim films. Well, and this one might have been even grimmer. Grimmer than Batman v Superman? Okay. That, yes. that, that would be pretty grim, but go yeah. on. <laughs> but, but, you know, this is what I don't get in all of this. And, and, you know, Kate, you are very wise to the ways of fandom, so maybe you have some insight into this. It's like, like, it's not that fans loved Batman v Superman. They hated it. Everybody well, made well, fun of it, so what, why all of a sudden is okay. Snyder this godhead okay so what you're making a mistake is is a common mistake when talking about fans versus why do fans love this but hate that and what you have to understand is that fans are by no means a monolith there is a very special very look at me i'm so dark with a dark spelled with a q u e I wear 
black dress shirts kind of dude or lady who likes the thing their things grim and gritty and so as long as they're getting what they want they want they shut up they buy their ticket they walk watch batman v superman and when other people say mean things about it they don't care because they got the movie they wanted they got superman angsting and then excessively dark superman suit and people dying and whatever that's what they want out of life but as long as they're getting what they want they shut up they're happy meanwhile the camp of people who are not into that kind of thing complain but this Uh time nobody was happy because filming was switched so late in the game. So the lighter and funnier vision, which, quite frankly, I kind of prefer, is deeply flawed by the fact that you can see all the joins, right? Like, it's it's clearly two movies pasted together. Yeah, and I... I enjoy it, but it's two movies pasted together. Yeah, and I mean, Josh Whedon is nowhere near the visual stylist that Zack Snyder is. I mean, I've said this a few times when I've been asked about this, but, you know, I'm actually, I I, I like Snyder's films to look at. They're they're really effective, and they're, they're, you know, visually very striking and innovative, and you can, you know, that's how you could tell when it's a Josh Whedon scene is because it, you know, looks like awful. It's (laughs) not just that. It's if you listen to the dialogue. Oh, of course, you know absolutely. Yeah, it's from yeah. right. Yeah, yeah it's very so. Obvious. So the people who like lighter and funnier, like, enjoyed it, but were like, eh, but it was kind of crap because we could see where it was pasted together. And the people who don't like lighter and funnier want to set it completely on fire and wish they could see the original movie. So well, there's yeah, nobody I... who is like, this is a flawless movie. No, but you know, I, I I would have to join in just to say that you know, I I I do agree. Um, I well, I agree with both of you. I actually, if I don't necessarily like all of Snyder's films, I always think he makes an interesting movie. Um, I do think that the movies that he's been associated with, they have this, some very distinctive things about them. Uh, both uh, the Superman movie as well as uh, what Man of Steel, uh, even Batman versus Superman, and I said it when we talked about it. Uh, there were some really interesting things about that movie that were overlooked because uh, it was so it was kind of bad, and the dialogue was even worse. However, it did have an idea in its head in some ways that a lot of superhero movies don't have. So I, uh, but what what's fascinated me has been the discussion around this cut, which to me uh, actually shows kind of. Uh, once again, that fans in this day and age, thanks to the internet, uh, have way more power, uh, to deliver their opinions to the task, to the tastemakers than ever before. Uh, and, and people do pay attention to them. That's kind of what Comic Con has become over the last 10 years, a big listening, you know, platform, um, uh, for, for fans. Um, but it's interesting how the narrative about this starter cut has gone from, you know, uh, it's like, you know, it's offensive because it's rewarding the toxic fans for getting their way. Um, uh, I'm not, I mean, there clearly was some like weird behavior online, but so what yeah. else is new? Uh, well, I what, mean, what's really were... fascinating is that, uh, the fans have been able to do what fans are supposed to do, advocate for the things they care about. And these giant entertainment, inter- uh, uh, entities, are paying attention. But I you know, think you know, it would all be interesting to see. But you know, it will be interesting to see, but like, let's not undersell 
a certain type of very toxic fan who wants their vision to be canon and therefore will stop at nothing uh, to make everyone's lives miserable because, until they get it, which they normally don't. I'm trying it, to think of I'm, – I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Kate, but I, I'm trying to think of a metaphor for this. And I think I, I actually might have realized this because, you know, what Calvin was saying, you know, what fans always do, they make their feelings known. But, you know, like – I, I don't want to get too political here, but, you know, when the Second Amendment was written, you know, everyone carried a blunderbuss and they had to stop to reload it in between shots. You know, now we have assault rifles. And I feel like fandom and everything, it's kind of a little bit the same. You know, back in the day, they had weapons that were like message boards or letter writing campaigns and all that stuff. You know, now there is a highly sophisticated interweaving network of YouTube and Twitter and, you know, and, and the tools that anyone has to get a message out there up to and including bots, fake views, fake followers is enormous. So it's, it's getting harder and harder for me to judge what's real and, you know, what's just some people, uh, trying to make a noise. Yeah, but I mean, I've all, I've been reading stuff saying that it's like all comics gators, and that can't be true. Even though they're probably their oily little fingers are probably in there somewhere. But really, I mean, what did that online petition get? They got hundreds of thousands of of si- uh, people signing up for that. Were those all bots? I mean, to a well, certain extent, there are fans that want to see this movie, and, and it's not just you know the worst part of that uh, section. It, it's it's more that I think. Maybe what Heidi's concerned about, and certainly what I'm concerned about, is what this means as a precedent going forward. Not that necessarily this will happen again as far as people giving them what they want, but now that they think that there's a chance they'll get it, I do not look forward to seeing, for example, the uh, people who didn't like the most recent two Star Wars movies to be throwing a fit on the internet for the next 10 years trying to get the make my favorite character look cooler cut. I yeah. mean, it's, well, it's not going to be fun. This but, is going to happen again. Yeah, but uh, no you, know, you know, I've just discovered something, which I'm sure every actual Snyder Cut advocate knows, but I did not know until right this moment, and I should have paid attention to it. But I was curious, you know, who wrote Batman versus Superman? Uh, well, it was David Goyer and Chris Terrio. And you know, Chris Terrio also co-wrote Justice League, and he also co-wrote Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. So this guy is the, you know, patient zero of all of this. Chris <laughs> Terrio. He is the cause of it all. I, I'm calling it now. So. But, but I do think that this is, this is not a glitch. This is a feature. This is yeah. the, this is the way we live life now. Uh, it, it's not going away. Uh, the ability to uh, organize vast stretches of, of like-minded people using the Internet and YouTube and all of these, these tools, that is how we live today. So it, it, this, like I said, so this is not some fluky thing. This is the reality of how media is manipulated in our time. It and is. I don't have a problem with fans having, having, uh, uh, having part of it. Now, well, nobody wants to, uh, to be bullied. But um, uh, but frankly, I really do think this is just as much entertainment, a massive entertainment complex responding to the possibility of making money. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm open to the possibility, right? I'm just, I guess I'm just worried about the potential consequences, which doesn't mean that they shouldn't make whatever movie they want to make. 
um, or sell whatever form of special edition they want. I mean, goodness knows, um, with Highlander 2, there have been like three completely different cuts because yeah. they're trying to figure out whether the main yeah. characters are aliens or not. There's and there's of- one in which they're aliens and there's one in which they're not. I'm still trying to figure out what the heck's going on yeah. with that. I, I think it's fun. You guys know about the Donner cut, right? I've heard of it. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, well, Superman 2 yeah. by the beloved Richard Donner also mm-hmm. got taken away from him and reshot by Richard Lester, a far more comedic director, by the way, the guy who made the, you know, Hard Day's Night. Uh, and, uh, so finally in, in, uh, I think it was 2006 or 7, they did release the Donner cut. So, you know, there is pre- absolutely precedence for this. And let, Calvin, you're 100% right. Let us not forget the dollar you know this has oh, got this is yeah, very excited even <laughs> yes, though they're and now they, wait a and now they can relaunch a media event when they can't film anything right now anyway uh, right. And, That's right. uh on top of that and and, and uh, look this is the remix we live in a remix culture so this is you know yeah, yeah. this but it's, it's, it's interesting it's an interesting you know uh, precedent. We'll see what happens next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, all there's right. One, there's one other comeback that's happened in all of this is that now, uh, you know, the resurgence of all things Snyder. Um, but yeah. it looks like Henry Cavill might be back to play Superman. I mean, there you go. there's been talk, you know, throw a coin to your kryptonite. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, well, you know, I do and- wonder if that might have some influence on it. Because, you know, his star is rising in the marketability firmament, and suddenly maybe they're like, wait, wait, uh, we take it back. We want you. Yeah. Um, he's been a pretty good Superman, so I, I'm, well, I think I'm he's fine. That. I think yeah. he's fine. I think he's yeah. fine. I think he's fine. He's certainly small, so go for it. Um, so, Kate, I think you had some notes on the, uh, the anime content of DC yeah. or HBO Max? Yeah, so HBO Max has decided to go for quality over quantity and is running a bunch of Studio Ghibli. Um, and also things they have licensed through Crunchyroll. But they are not... 17 Crunchyroll titles will be available on Crunchyroll Max at launch. Um, it's going to have dubbed and subtitle options. It's going to have Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood Re-Zero, Starting Life in Another World, and In Slash Spectre. Not sure how to read that. Um, but they're also, they're going with sort of like greatest hits here. Um, they're going with, um, major titles include Bungo Strange, Bungo Strange Ja, Bungo Stray Dogs, Roni Kenshin, Cabinary of the Iron Fortress, um, and, Many other, but those are the the main ones. And Hunter Times Hunter is coming soon, and Death Note is coming soon. Ah, Death Note. Um, so they're they are bringing out the big guns, but only a small number of big guns. Um, so it'll be interesting, but it does make me wonder about their relationship with Crunchyroll and where this is going next. Okay. I guess we'll see the pop, well, you know, yeah. I guess let's look at the, yeah. the streaming numbers. Well, you know, as soon as, uh, HBO Max comes to Roku, uh, I'll be very, or, you know, Firestick, I mean, they're missing gazillions of people, actually, who 
stream their content through there. So I, yeah. I look forward to that day when I can actually check out HBO Max because I actually have a subscription to it already. I signed up in advance, AT&T. I already gave you my money, and now I can't see it because you and Roku are having a pissing contest. So get right. Sean, you, you should hit him up for a refund. Yeah, get, get on the stick. Get on the Roku <laughs> stick. All right. So give me the stick or give me my money back. Okay, so where are we at here? Uh, where are we at? So crowdfunding? Uh, well, we, we wanted to talk a little bit about some developments, the crowdfunding um, yes. era, uh, also what's going on there. Um, so Kickstarter, I think we might have alluded to this last time, but uh, unfortunately they did have layoffs. They laid off about 40% yeah. of the staff, and among them was uh, Camilla Zhang, a friend of the podcast. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, she'd been there con- um their comics lead for a couple of years, uh, super well known in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of a. If I had to lay someone off, that is not who I would lay off. But hey, well, you know, it, 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 that's the only person who I know was laid off. It wasn't like there was an article on, um, you know, Fast Times or somewhere saying yeah, there hasn't you know, been a lot of laid off twenty yeah. people, and among them, yada yada yada. Uh, it was like Camilla announced it, and then everybody ran with the story. So there's another side of. The interconnected, very tight knit community uh, that is comics. I hear that. Yeah. Um, so, so, but meanwhile, Kickstarter is kicking it. I mean, um, projects are launching at ginormous levels. Um, so, you know, this just a couple, I think last week or two weeks ago, time does telescope in this quarantine. Um, there was a Kickstarter launched for a book called Madi, which is written by Duncan Jones, the director of Moon, and it's the third kind of the end of the trilogy of his his Moon films. Um, and you know, it would be too expensive to make, so he made it as a graphic novel with the help of Alex DeCampi and um, and Z2 Comics, which is facilitating the, the Kickstarter. And it's already raised like a quarter of a million dollars in in just a See, few I didn't days. even know anything about this. It sounds yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's Alex is writing it, and she got like an incredible array of artists to work on it, and you know, a quarter of a million dollars. So yeah. I think that's doing just fine. And there's some other like you mentioned, Chip Mosier's Kickstarter, also. Yeah. I mean, that mm-hmm. one. So you know, the, yeah. it, 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 I think the the rationale for the layoffs at, at Kickstarter was that there were fewer. Um, campaigns launching but the ones certainly in comics that are are launching seem to be doing very well so yeah Yeah, i think on both ends there are uh, more creators with some time on their hands and to create a good campaign and there are more people who say are working from home and maybe are not you know buying a coffee or a muffin and so yes. they have a few more bucks to kick toward a Kickstarter, and they also have the time to comb through Kickstarters and find what they want. Yes, that's right. And, you know, uh, Jeff Lemire uh, and uh, David Rubin, they had their Cosmic Detective, and that one is about to end. Uh, it already has raised $147,000. Ooh, I better – got to get a copy of that. Damn. Oh, better hurry up. Good note to self. Um, anyway, but, yeah, they're they're doing quite well, so – all right, so cool. But um, also uh, some changes for Patreon. Oh yeah, what's that? Yeah, what what was it? The um, yeah, the news around Patreon. Kate. Ah, yes. So here's our Patreon news. I actually, it hasn't actually been announced announced to the general public, as far as I know. But um, people are letting their partic- Patreon participants know about this going on. Um, apparently. 
legally Patreon now has to charge people ta- uh, sales tax if they are getting any tangible goods as part of their Patreon subscription. So um, I think there's still a little bit of a question in some people's minds as to what counts as, as tangible goods. Like, for example, does an ebook count as tangible goods? What if what if all those chapters are only pasted in as blog updates in your mm-hmm. Patreon? Does that count as tangible goods? Hmm, who knows? So it, it should be interesting, but it's definitely going to cause some waves in the crowdfunding ecosystem. Yeah, I was reading the, the frequently asked questions uh, page for Patreon, and uh, it, what is a tangible good is different, unfortunately, from state to state. They say mm-hmm. uh, they say on the Air Patreon that many places have passed laws that make streaming content taxable with platforms like Netflix and Spotify in mind. So in those places, streaming video and audio are considered taxable. Um, so wide open boy we're gonna you know figure this out uh and uh a lot to learn and it's going to be crazy and i'm glad i don't have to figure it out (laughs) (laughs) okay that is patreon's job yes patreon's job and you know one other thing i I see we're running out of time here but uh Mm -hmm. uh just as while we're talking about uh crowdfunding um the occasion of uh kickstarter laying off people was uh you know, like anything bad that happens, uh, some people take a victory lap. So, uh, you know, which is awful. But uh, a lot of people were saying, well, that's because Indiegogo is doing great. And, you know, Indiegogo is doing well. And I, I got some people asking me on Twitter. And, you know, a lot of people, I will say uh, Indiegogo is associated quite a bit with uh, creators who are also associated with Comicsgate. And they get these huge, huge, huge um, campaigns going. Um, you know, like Ethan, you know, he who shall not be named has one that's like, you know, well into six figures for like a, mm. like a 48 page book. I mean, that's cost, or it's like $25 mm-hmm. for 26 pages. It's really crazy. But, um, uh, and, but you know, I, I, that's a valid question. It's a valid question to ask how does Indiegogo compare to Kickstarter? And the thing is that Kickstarter is very, very transparent about how they do things and Indiegogo isn't, you know? Mm. They do not, yeah, they don't have like a Camilla. They don't have anybody who's uh, forward facing to public facing. Um, and they don't make their statistics available and they're not easily findable. So, you know, and there's a lot of questions about whether you can, uh, recycle some of the pledges, which, you know, I mean, this is a little more nefarious, but, but there are some conspiracy theories about Indiegogo. And, um, so anyway, I mean, I think it's a really interesting, valid question that should absolutely be investigated, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to see people talking about it more because everybody loves to fight about everything these days. <laughs> yes, we are. We live. We live in a contentious period. Um, can we segue now to? I think you know what we want to talk about. Yes. Uh, uh, the Christian Cooper uh, encounter. Um, yes. So maybe. So, yeah. Go on. Uh, we should go into his comics connection. Well, that's basically well, that it. Was- Just to remind uh, people, obviously, this is the the really sad incident that happened in Central Park with uh, Christian Cooper, uh, an, an editor, um, and uh, and really a passionate bird watcher uh, who was confronted uh, by a, a white woman in, in the Ramble in Central Park, and she decided to um, you know to sort of falsely accuse him of attacking her. Uh, obviously, the end result was that she was exposed. Um, she was fired from her job, uh, and Christian Cooper was lionized. Uh, 
for his tact and for his um, his poise uh, and his decency uh, in how he dealt with this situation. But it turns out he was he's also a comics writer and editor. Yeah, the first way – well, a former. He used to work for Marvel Comics. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the way I found out about this – was just on my Facebook feed because so many of my friends, you know, my friends who used to work at Marvel Comics were saying, I, you know, I can't believe this latest, you know, viral incident of racism is somebody that we all know. And, um, I, I do vaguely remember him working at Marvel back in the nineties and I, I'm, I don't want to misstate, but, uh, you know, Mar- there was a lot of layoffs at Marvel, so I'm not sure how he left the company, but, uh, you know, he also worked on some Star Trek and, uh, uh, comics and introduced the first one of the first gay comics into Star Trek, and uh, you know the guy had very uh, unassailable nerd cred, and as well as being a Harvard grad and uh, yeah, an avid nerd watcher. Yeah. So you know that's uh, uh, but I, everybody was just like, you know, what a great person he was uh, is, and um, I think that's really shown in all of his all of his reactions to this oh, really incident. Yeah, but I. Yeah, oh, go, go on, on, Calvin. No, 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 Calvin, go on. Well, I just wanted to point out, he apparently he created the first openly gay Star Trek character. Um, uh, and, and then what he had, he's had a run, he, he did a run on, what was this, Dark Hole? Um, he wrote some X-Men collections, so, and edited, excuse me, edited some X-Men collections. Anyway, just the, the, some of the particulars of his time as a comics writer. But really, um, he, he just sort of, you, you just make him, uh, he's proud to be a fellow. I'm proud to be a fellow New Yorker in how he uh, was confronted with a really awful situation and how he responded. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, like he keeps saying that he he doesn't, th- you know, he doesn't think her life should have been torn apart as it was, as the reaction. You know, I mean, he's showing a lot more compassion uh, for her. And, you know, I'm not sure how where I stand on that, to be honest. But uh, I mean, you know, he's he's definitely a, yeah, I wish more people were like Christian well, Cooper. <laughs> he's a decent guy. Who, he's a decent uh, who, human who, being who yeah. presented with an impossible situation. He, yeah. And he has said yeah. he does not excuse the racism that no. he that he that was Absolutely being used not. as a weapon against him, because if a cop had came there uh, that she, she was trying to uh, this a scene that she was trying to create. Who knows what could have happened? Absolutely. Uh, but fortunately, yeah. it didn't get to that. Um, he's been uh, incredibly generous, but really, um, uh, I mean, she brought this on herself. She did bring it on herself, and there's no question about that. And um, you know, but cheers to uh, Christian Cooper. But yes. uh, but his sister, I want to point out, his sister oh, yes. Melody Cooper is actually the one who posted the video yeah. and on Facebook where it started to go viral. And she also has a comics connection because she is a uh, producer, uh, writer uh, type uh, out in uh, Hollywood. And she actually worked on one of the uh, H1 titles for Humanoids, I believe Omni, that was written by Devin Grayson. I think she was one of the uh, the creators of that series. So, um, you know, there's like a comics, the, the yeah. comics run strong in the Cooper family. Yeah, so apparently yeah. so. So there you go. So great. Well, uh, it looks like I think we're about out of time here. Yeah, so I think we are I think too. We, 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 we just ramble. You know, time is so elastic in this strange pandemic. But, you know, we always, it's been a while. We had to uh, cut last week because of various things. But how's everybody doing? Let's just check in and see how we're all doing there. Well, just quickly. I, well, I should say I'm doing fine. And in fact, I'm preparing for a panel, the graphic, a graphic novel panel as part of the virtual, um, book expo that will be going on. 
Um, actually, tomorrow night at 5 o'clock, uh, when you hear this in the morning, uh, go to the Books Expo Facebook page. And from 5 to 5.45, I'll be moderating a Zoom panel with a fabulous lineup of, uh, of adult and uh, young uh, adult readers. Um, I will be talking with Kiku Hughes about displacement. Uh, Trung Lurton excuse me if I mangled your name, uh, author of The Magic Fish. James Rombergers, Post York. So James will be there. And Bishak Soms, uh, new graphic novel, Spellbound. And uh, Mike Curato's uh, Flamer uh, also. So uh, we'll have uh, five graphic novels. I'll try to direct traffic, but I'm looking forward to it. And is it going to be posted somewhere afterwards? Uh, that I don't know. I assume that, that it will be the case, um, but uh, it will probably be information about that on the Book Expo uh, Facebook page. Great. Thank you, Calvin. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Heads up. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, one thing we haven't had a chance to mention yet in this episode, which I do want to bring up, is um, I actually got a chance to interview Jeff Johns last episode uh, yes. about Stargirl. Unfortunately, like he stuck pretty close to Stargirl, and he would not talk about any of the other developments of the comic industry until he was off the record, <laughs> which was a disappointment. But, you know, I still managed to um, connect Stargirl to lots of questions about his career in general, uh, the way comics have changed over time, and also uh, the current filming situation for um, the superhero television shows. Um, so that is good, and you can just find it right before this episode in the same feed. And the yes, same otherwise, and the yeah, same. you did a great job, Kate. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a terrific interview. Good, good, good job, Kate. And, and Jeff's, a, Jeff's really relaxing and, and chatty. It's really great. Yeah, it's, it's nice. And also, our, our feed, our corrected, our proper, our working feed. So now you can listen to our episodes in their entirety. Yes. So, yes. Um, you know, let me give a very quick plug. Man, I hope you're going to squeeze this in here. But, uh, you know, I'm also doing a supplementary podcast, video cast that we do live. I do it with Jimmy Aquino of Comic uh, News Insider. So we call it Comic Feed Insider. So t- t- uh, t- tomorrow, which is today as you listen, Friday, uh, uh, that would be May 29th at 6 p.m. We will be live uh, would be me, Jimmy, John Hosh, and uh, Jill Pantosi, and we're going to be talking about who was the best Batman. Uh, All right. So uh, check that out. All right. Very pressing issues. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, we covered a lot of ground here today. We did. We did. So, but you know what, guys? It's not the end because no, there will is. be more to come. <laughs>